get caught up in the rights The Constitution, what's it worth? Tell you what, I get excited every time I hear Eric Clapton doing Stand and Deliver. Welcome to another episode of Stand and Deliver, Citizens for Free Speech. I'm Bob France, the National Communications Director of CFFS, along with... I'm Patrick Wood, the Executive Director. We're glad you're here listening to us today. Um, and by the way, we're going to make a little bit of change in where video appears. Uh, we're going to put the video and the audio broadcast up on Rumble. And we're going to limit our podcast podcast to the audio only. So it goes to more places. Many places do not carry video, if you can believe that. But we want everybody to hear, stand, and deliver. So we're going to split it up. And from now on, you'll see the video portion on Rumble. And we will send out emails to that effect as well. So, Bob, that's uh, that's kind of good news. I hope that increases our circulation of the podcast. And, again, we're here because of free speech. We're talking about uh, all the issues that are that are surfacing around the country and working through courts, working through lawsuits, et cetera, where legislation about free speech and why it's important to uh, to you to pay attention to this. So, Bob, what are we going to start with today? Well, before we start, I just want to say, boy, I wish we had known about this 47 episodes ago that they weren't hosting the video portion of our, 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 our podcast, so therefore the audio wasn't uploading either. But we're correcting that, and we're going to make sure that everybody can hear us in the places you're supposed to hear us and see us and listen to us in the places that you can do that as well. So we are constantly making changes to improve and expand our reach uh, because the message we have is an important one. We wouldn't be doing this. We wouldn't be putting all of our time into this. Nobody here is getting rich in this nonprofit 501c3 dedication to protecting and preserving the First Amendment. We're doing yes. this because yes. somebody has to. So yes. uh, we're always working on it. We're going to try to make it better and better. So, Patrick, um, we got a lot of st- a lot of topics today, and I, and, and I want to start with what should be obvious, and that is the extraordinarily important issue in evolving uh, free speech and freedom of religion two of the five protections in the First Amendment, out in Colorado, the latest Supreme Court case involving compelled and forced speech. Uh, The arguments were made, the oral arguments were made on Monday, this week on Monday. Uh, A woman by the name of Lori Smith, who is a, a, a business owner. She owns 303 Creative. 303 Creative is a graphic website design uh, business that she has. She creates graphic websites for all kinds of events, including personal events, including birthdays and anniversaries, and yes, weddings. And the um, uh, the situation of Colorado, which is intentional, this is what Colorado does. Uh, they went to her. Uh, they found a, a gay couple to come in and say, tell her that you want a graphic website dedicated to their same-sex wedding. Just like they did to Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cakes, she politely declined, said, I can't do that. I'd be happy to make any other website you'd like, because she's not discriminatory against anybody based on their sexual orientation or anything else. But they took her to court anyway. And yes, it wound up all the way before the Supreme Court. And Patrick, I want to make two points, and then you can go off on this. Number one, Neil Gorsuch, one of the Supreme Court justices who heard the arguments, made a really, really important point here in talking uh, to the the, uh, Colorado Solicitor General saying, you guys made Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shops go through a re-education program, didn't you? And the lawyer uh, denied that and said, no, it wasn't a re-education program. He said, did you not put him in a mandatory program to help him see things the way the state sees them rather than the way he sees it through his own religious lens? 
uh, when you when you wanted him to make these cakes? And they said, we, we put him through a program that made him become more familiar with Colorado law. And Gorsuch said, that's re-education. Patrick, that's how serious and dangerous this is. They're trying to do the same thing now to Lori Smith. And if she loses this case, and I don't think she will, but when they write the opinions for this case in uh, June, I believe it's supposed to be that this will be done. If she loses this case, the state will not only be able to compel her to make anything she, they tell her to, they may force her and you and me and everybody else, if we don't see things the way the state sees them, they may force us under penalty of a fine, maybe, or some other sort of civil uh, punishment. They may force us into taking either an online course or something else like that, that quite frankly is literally Orwellian re-education. You will learn to think and you will learn to observe and see things the way the state sees them, or you will be punished. So her first amendment rights were violated on two fronts, freedom of speech and freedom of religion by, by them saying she must make this website. And some of the arguments that were made uh, during the questioning by some of the other justices were staggering in their scope. And Patrick, I, I, I don't want to say it's bigger than Dobbs. I don't want to say it's bigger than any other case that's come before the court, but this is as big as any that I have seen involving the first amendment, particularly because of the way the arguments were presented on Monday uh, involving your right to free speech, my right to free speech and religious liberty and so forth. It's the biggest I've seen maybe in my lifetime. Yes. I want to really point out to our viewers. And I'm sure they're not, they're not surprised when I say something like this, there are people in our country who absolutely detest free speech. They absolutely detest the people that exercise their free speech that we find in the First Amendment. Let me just again make, a, make an appeal for the First Amendment. The five rights contained in the First Amendment are not constitutionally guaranteed rights. That's shocking, but let me tell you why. The founders of our country said those are unalienable rights. They're not rights that were given by man. They believe those rights were given by God. Therefore, man could not modify them or take them away. They had no business. That's why it says Congress shall make no law. In other words, keep your myths off. These unalienable rights, if they're true for us, it means they're just as true for other countries as well around the world. This is a human thing. Everybody has unalienable rights that were given by God. And we see this in other countries as well. But here in America, there are people who detest that, if you will, that God could get away with anything down here without <laughs> having the criticism coming against it, saying, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. This is one of the most dangerous trends we have in America today, this, this absolute hatred of free speech. And we you know, what this tells me, Bob, is we need to quit pussyfooting with this. This is deadly serious stuff. And it's not just enough to shake our heads and say, oh, there ought to be a law against that. Well, there probably should be. But, you know, that's not enough anymore. If we don't speak up individually, if we don't start being vocal individually, they are going to assume that they have won and that they have shut us up. And I just want to say, I just say it bluntly, everybody. Are you ready for them to shut you up? And But not just that. It's not yes. just, this is so big. 
Kristen Wagner of Alliance Defending Freedom. She was the one who argued the case for Lori Smith in front of the Supreme Court. She pointed out this is so much more than just suppression of speech. This is compelled speech and compelled speech, forced speech, coerced speech by the government (laughs) is a tool of authoritarianism. If the government can tell you to say something that you you don't want to say and you don't believe in, it's all over. It's all over. It's worse than suppressed speech in many ways. Yeah. It, let's put it to you another way. And this is what uh, a couple of the justices pointed out in their in their discussion and in these oral arguments. If you can force a Christian or Jew or anybody else who's a person of faith who doesn't believe that marriage should be between anyone between one man and one woman, as Lori Smith and as Jack Phillips and as probably 99% of the faithful population of the world, certainly of the United States, believes that it's one man and one woman. But if you can make somebody who believes that say that they don't, force them, re-educate them and make them say, I can celebrate this marriage Mm -hmm. or this union between one man and one man or two men and one woman or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can go to a democratic speech writer and say, I demand that you write a speech for this Republican candidate here. One that emphasizes ideals that you very much disagree with. One that emphasizes small government, lower taxes, strong borders, and on and on and on down the line. And if you don't do it, you're going to be penalized. That's compelled speech. That and, and that's that's about the only way that you can explain this to them. Or flipping this on its head, one of them, and I can't remember which justice brought this up, mm-hmm. it would be like going to an LGBTQ uh, business owner and entrepreneur, maybe it's a cake shop, maybe it's a graphic website design, and saying, we would like you to design a website for us and a cake for us, one that celebrates marriage as being between just one man and one woman, one that says all other marriages are invalid, one that says we don't recognize them, one that says this is not this is not real. You know what would happen? Yep. This would be over in two seconds. And as a matter of fact, one of the one of the justices, and I don't remember which one it was. Again, one one of the liberal justices. I don't know. It might have been Sotomayor. It might have been uh, Jackson Brown. But, uh, literally said, well, that's totally different than that, that we wouldn't require that. It's like, wait a minute, you literally are doing the exact opposite here. So there are many, many examples that if you have compelled speech, and this is what Kristen Wagner said in her closing argument, you literally are giving a tool for authoritarianism to be de- to be uh, uh, developed in this country. You will have no freedom anymore. The government will tell you what to say and when you can say it. That's exactly right. This, this uh, last time I can, re- can remember in my head, I was not there, by the way, but while well, I was alive during the Vietnam War, but I didn't fight in Vietnam. I remember uh, people coming out of the Vietnam War and telling us about the uh, the prison camps and the you know the re-education camps that prisoners of war were sent to, and they were forced to say things that they didn't agree with, believe in, or anything else. They were forced under under torture. They would torture them half to death until. They uttered the words that they wanted them to utter. It was just really like straight out of a 1984 no- novel. And, um, you know, this is a slippery slope. It's, it, you know, it can't get any better all by itself unless people rise up and say, we're not going to put up with that. And that doesn't mean we should be obnoxious either about it, I'm sure. But, you know, when an opportunity comes for you to stand and, and make your voice known, you need to do it. Don't be intimidated by this crowd. Absolutely. Stand up and do it. And maybe it's not in your state yet. Thanks, guts. It's coming. It's coming. 
Yeah, it right. does take guts oh. to stand and deliver. I mean, it really, really yeah. does. I mean, you know, I guarantee you, Lori Smith never thought one day That's I'm going to be yeah. arguing in front of the Supreme Court. I'm going to be trying to establish a pot. I mean, she just she just started That's growing. She's good at computers. She's good at graphic design. She said, I'm going to make websites for a living. And then somebody said, I'm going to turn your life upside down. You're going to yes. make what I tell you to do. So it, it takes guts. She could have just shut <laughs> her thing down and said, I'm not doing this anymore. Or she yeah. could fight. And you know what? This She's is, fighting. Yeah. This is a perfect segue into New York. We should be glad we don't live in New York City or New York State. New York State. Oh my gosh! I know this is just this is a perfect uh, way to 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 get drilled down into how a state now this is not national. This is how a state is coping with this whole business of speech and free speech and stuff. And Bob, bring up the story. Well, you know what makes this so important, Patrick, which you know, is that. This isn't just a social media company. A lot of times, some people try to make the distinction. If a social media company, you know, is private, they can establish their own rules and they can decide whether or not something is allowed, something isn't, et cetera, et cetera. This isn't a company. This is, as you say, the state of New York. New York's bid to police online comments is, is illegal and ridiculous. That's a headline from National Review, and I want to quote Charles Cook, who kind of underscored this. First of all, just so you know, this is happening now. Anybody's views and or listens to our podcast in New York is already familiar, but if you're not, here you go. As of Monday this week, the state debuted their new statute, the Social Media Hate Speech Accountability Act, which manages to violate the First, First Amendment in two discrete ways. Uh, number one, uh, they have contrived a policy for dealing with material that they say might, and this is a quote, vilify, humiliate, or incite violence against a groups against a groups against a group. Excuse me, based on race, color, religion, ethnicity, national origin, disability, sex, sexual orienta orientation, gender identity, or gender expression, and it demands that the owner of any such website in New York that allows that stuff to happen, give readers a way to complain about it if they see it. It's illegal in two ways. Number one, not only is there no such thing as hate speech under American law, words are protected by the First Amendment, even if they are words that make you unhappy or make you uncomfortable and that make you sad or that make you mad. That's why the First Amendment exists. But it, not only is there no hate speech under American law, uh, and thereby no categorical basis for this uh, government of New York to demand anything of those who host hate speech. But by insisting that the website owners publish explanations of their moderation rules and promise to respond to these, uh, 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 these uh, hate speech, this language, the state is engaging in compelled speech. We just covered that for speech. The response to this, says Charles Cook, from any self-respecting American must be no less than, oh, yeah, how about you shove it? Because, Patrick, this is, again, the government, not a private entity, telling the first, telling the American people, or at least in this case, the people of New York, that the First Amendment no longer applies here. We will tell you what you can say, what you can't say, and what you must respond to and what you must spike if we don't like it. Right. We shouldn't probably blame the government 100% either in a way. Because we know that the government at various levels have been colluding with social media to censor, and it goes in two directions, to censor stories that they don't want to appear in the media or in anywhere where, where you and I can get a hold of it and start making, forming thoughts on it. 
This has happened on a national basis, and this is documented stuff. This is this is smoke, not just smoking gun, absolutely documented stuff that the federal government has colluded directly with social media companies to censor mm -hmm. speech. Now, just incidentally, you say, well, it hasn't happened on a state level. Oh, yes, it has. In the recent release of all the documents from Twitter uh, that had to do with the Hunter Biden story and a bunch of other stuff has been released as well mm -hmm. about you know government relations and censorship and so on, we find that in Arizona, our new governor, quote unquote, uh, our new governor, Katie Hobbs. Enjoy that. She just happened to make a little foray into Twitter to say, you need to censor this person that's uh, giving me a hard time down here in Arizona. And so we find a state level official jumping on the bandwagon to censor speech as well. So don't think it's just the federal government doing a stand on the state level too. Now we don't know what the two way interaction is between government and, and the social media uh, empire now, but we can, we know it's a two way street. And that means that some of this, if not a lot of it, could be coming from this, the rest of this quote unquote private industry there. Maybe they're pushing the government kind of to put these things in place too. Who knows? We'll find out. But the whole thing stinks to high heaven. Yeah, it does. I mean, uh, like you said, government restricting First Amendment rights or any, any rights in the First Amendment or in the uh, Bill of Rights. Uh, any rights whatsoever is obviously very, very troubling. And now we're yes. seeing it happen, as you say, at the state level in at least two different states, two different situations. Yeah. And the Katie Hobbs one is ugly. Uh, and there's been there have been calls now for federal investigations over this, which I think they should. Uh, she literally has, you know, engaged in in a, in a communist slash socialist type of practice here to silence Americans who say things that might impact her yes. in her run for the governorship. And uh, yes. she, of course, being the secretary of state, uh, yeah. it, it's 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 a huge deal. It is. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we we have okay. to live with it. I mean, I'm from Arizona, if everybody doesn't know that. But so it's been a, a huge disappointment and uh, we have to live with it at this point and deal with it as best we can. But uh, she has been launched into the governorship and her opponent, Carrie Lake, has been put on the shelf for now. There's well, lawsuits, but uh, we don't know how those are going to turn out. This isn't a free speech thing when we talk about the elections, but I'm going to hit this anyway, Patrick, just because it's so infuriating. Many of us watched that race over the course of the last several months and wondered how can Katie Hobbs possibly expect to win over Arizona voters without debating Carrie Lake? She ran scared from her like a little scared kid. She yep. didn't want to get on a stage with Carrie Lake and just be demolished on the points and on the facts and on the situation. Yep. And we were wondering, how can she do this? And now we know how. We saw Patrick, and you can speak to this if you wish, and you know it better than I do because you're out there. But there were county election officials who did not want to certify the results of the election because of all of the irregularities and all of the shenanigans and all of the, you know, closed down machines, no paper, no ink. This one is down. This one is down. We're telling people go to another precinct and vote. It'll count. Don't worry. Some people may or may not have gone to another precinct. Some may have just turned around and went home. Some people may have never left their home if they, when they found out that the machines weren't working at their precinct and that the lines might be around the, the, the block. So certain counties said we cannot verify and we cannot certify the results of this election in our county. And Katie Hobbs, the secretary of state who runs the elections, who also is the candidate for governor who would benefit from this election, ordered those individuals, those, those county uh, chiefs to certify the election or go to prison. Yeah. 
and they made statements while they while they announced their certification. We have yeah. been told if we do not do this, we are going to prison. So therefore, regrettably, we certify the election. Yes. Yes. Patrick, vote, yeah, did I, I know. get it right? You got it right. Your vote, by the way, is one of the most important parts of the First Amendment, not only to, uh, uh, you know, part five about being able to receive a redress of your grievances. That's what we do at the polls. Right. There you go. But also just from, from a standpoint of free speech, it's one way, definitive way that you have the right to pick who you want to be in office in your state, county, city, whatever the heck it might be, or national government. That is a very important first amendment right that we have to vote. And it's, it's pretty much in the historically been sacrosanct. Nobody want nobody really wanted to touch it, but now it's under most tremendous attack I've ever seen. And I want to tell you, I personally, Bob, my vote was disenfranchised, period. I'm, I tell you, to say I'm pissed off is just not really, that doesn't really do it justice. I'm really hopping mad about this. I went, I had to go to a second precinct. I went into the precinct. I got my ballot, checked in. I got my ballot. I went to the little booth, filled it all out, whatever, went over to put it in the machine. And it wouldn't take it. It refused it. So it got stuffed into another drawer, drawer number three, they called it, got stuffed into another drawer where it was never supposed to be in the first place. They're supposed to, you were supposed to be able to run your own ballot through the tabulator to make sure it got counted. It got, you know, red, red, et cetera, pushed through it. Well, we had stories from campaign workers. That is the people who were actually doing the processing, you know, helping the people run them through the machine we had eyewitnesses come out of the polling places saying somebody came along because box number three filled up in the middle of the day more than once because everybody ended up putting their, their ballots in there. So they started opening up those ballot boxes right smack dab in the middle of the polling center with all the people walking around, taking the, taking the ballots out, stuffing them in the bags. Some One campaign worker said, I saw with my own eyes that the ballots from box number three, which were not counted, were not scanned, were commingled with the ones that were scanned earlier in the day. They threw them all together, meaning what? they can never straighten that out because they're not identified by serial number. I'll tell you, Bob, this is in, in, in light of these Holy. eyewitness testimonies like this. There were several. This isn't the only one. There were several instances that anybody with two brain cells would have thrown up their hands and say, we're doing this over. We're going to do it over. We're going to do it. We're going to have a one day like they did kind of did in Georgia, right? One day, everybody's just going to get all together one day and vote. And we're going to settle it. What they should have done. But they ignored all of that evidence and said, it was a safe and secure election. So we're going to certify results said commissioner County commissioner, Bill Gates. We did everything in our power to make sure that this was a, a safe and secure election. Yeah. Uh, uh, but not including, not including all those people that were just totally disenfranchised, you little twerp. But you know, this, well, this really is an issue in Arizona. We, we watched this slow, slow moving parade go by and we just couldn't believe it. It just got crunchier and crunchier. And when, when Katie Hobbs threatened the county supervisors down in Cochise County, which are by, by and large, to my knowledge, are great people. She said, very, very red this. county too, right? Very red county. Yes. Been enormous very red numbers county. Of votes and she the... threatened them. And she said, look, here's, here's the deal. If you don't 
certify your votes. I'm going to disallow those votes. And the net result is you will lose a congressional seat because of it, because your votes won't be counted. And you'll go to that, jail. That was blackmail. Yeah, it is. Flat out blackmail. So, Patrick, I mean, I, I, I've heard a lot of the stories about Arizona since that happened. Not one quite like yours. Um, it, it makes me wonder again, you know, we just had the Georgia runoff and it's now a 51, uh, it's, and now it's a 51, uh, uh, 49 Senate. I mean, yes. might Blake, might Blake masters have won? Might it be a 50, 50 Senate again? Might Carrie oh, Lake yes. have won, particularly yes. since these things were going on in, yes. uh, in, in particularly red counties. <sighs> so my question, Patrick is you're hopping mad. Have you hopped down to a, an attorney yet? Uh, to get a class action lawsuit filed against the secretary of state for daring to force the certification through blackmail of votes that were not counted. That according to eyewitness evidence, you know, these, these, these non-counted ballots were mixed in with, with already counted ballots. And now you have no earthly idea how to, how to separate them and count them. Yeah. There have been state laws broken all over the place. And yes, there, there is legal action taking place right now. The, uh, uh, the, the, the candidate, uh, Carrie Lake and, uh, also true, the vote as well, put up a, a special website for people to make their complaint. And so they could collect affidavit material and they did. And so I'm telling you that those, those websites were, were swamped with people that went online and said, I was one of those people and I got nailed. I, I, I put in, um, my, uh, my complaint in every place I could possibly do it. So I expect there's going to be. Uh, some class action suits out of this. And the problem, again, the problem is, will we find a decent judge that will not just throw it out for one reason or another? Just like that, all of the 2020 right. uh, judges would not hear the cases, despite yes. all kinds of evidence yes. of fraud in, in various states that, that, yes, that could have changed the outcome of the election. Yes. And yes. you know, Patrick, you talk about what we do. You know, we are free speech, uh, America. We are citizens for free speech. We fight for the First Amendment. We fight for the right to be heard. We fight for the right, as you say, to petition the government for the redress of our grievances. And that means voting out some of the members of the government. I get people on my radio program all the time, you know, and and when I give speeches at various locations, you may do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they say, Bob, what do we do? How can we survive another two years of the inflation rate the way it is under the current administration? How can we survive another two years of two and a half, three, four, five million more illegals crossing the border in Arizona, in Texas, in New Mexico, in California? How can we do this? What are we going to do, Bob? And and I I run out of things to say beyond we're going to vote them out. We're going to win. I told people before this last two years, you know, the, uh, you know, the power, uh, power changed hands uh, to Joe Biden and a full Democrat Congress. And I'm not trying to sit here and turn this into all partisanship. But look, there is one party benefiting from all of this, uh, this chicanery and all of this tomfoolery and all of these shenanigans. And I'm finding words that I can use that won't get us in trouble because the ones I want to use are far more profane. But we see this happening over and over and over again. And there's one party that benefits from it every single time. And so when people say, Bob, what do we do? And I say, we got to vote them out. Patrick, do, do we, and should we, and can we have any faith whatsoever that our voting them out is ever going to be legitimized? Yes. Again, because you tried to vote them out in Arizona and they didn't count your vote, your personal yep. vote, your yep. wife's vote. Lord knows how many others. So, I mean, yep. I don't know what to say anymore. When people say, Bob, what do we do? Vote them out? How? Yep. If we don't if we don't control free, free and fair elections. We need to get control of the voting process again, period. That's, a, that's the only way we can do it. 
in every state, the, per- the, the, the body that's responsible for voting integrity, for voting procedures, et cetera, is the Assembly and the Senate, or, well, the, the Senate and the Assembly of the state. They're the ones that have to make the laws if they can get them passed. Now, in our case, Katie Hobbs is being governor. She's not going to sign anything more that comes through. So that's out. But we still have our county commissioners to deal with. And they're the ones that actually threw the monkey wrench into this. These people were were just unbelievable uh, in our county. There was a a group of them. All of them really unanimously ended up certifying the vote. And they had no business doing that. They they had a public hearing. People came up one after another, told horror stories about what had happened. And they just sat there and said, your time is up, ma'am. Next person, please. And they did this for like two hours. Yeah. And it's like, you just want to, you know, you just want to run down there and just like, you know, throw a stink bomb in there or something. But you couldn't, of course you wouldn't, but you know, yeah. it's like these people had no intention of listening to anybody in the public whatsoever. They had made up their mind beforehand. They only did the public hearing uh, to satisfy state law. So they wouldn't get absolutely crushed by it because it would be a violation and everybody would know it. Uh, so they had the public hearing and it was just a travesty. They had no intent of listening to anybody, nobody that came to that meeting. But they told story after story, and there were other people I heard through back channel that had gone directly to them and told them, you know, in their offices and told them what had happened. And they just shrugged it off. Well, we had an election. That's it. We we had our election. It set up, did really, oh, it said it right there on the website. Election. See, we had an election. Okay, over. Next story. <laughs> There's just a bomb's rush. It's remarkable. Oh, anyway, and, and, and you know, same thing. Same thing happened. Obviously, we saw two thousand mules. We saw just, yes. s- just so much evidence of computer fraud. So much evidence of mule fraud, Dropbox uh, fraud. Uh, you know, all of these different things. And if we try yes. to point it out, we're the ones who are trying to suppress the vote. We're the ones trying to disenfranchise. You literally yes. were disenfranchised. Patrick, um, we didn't get to the rest of our stories here. and We're coming okay. up at the end of our, our, our show, but that's okay. You, yes. you you hit me over the head with this. I didn't know it, and I can't believe I didn't know this happened already, that you personally were disenfranchised along with plenty of other people at the precinct you went yes. to through these, um, yes. through these uh, nefarious and, ways. And, and, and by the way, 48% of our polling places in Maricopa County did not function correctly. 48%. Had mechanical issues. Normally, usually it's a printer, but the tabulators as well. Never happened. The, the primary, they work fine. The night, the night before, they work fine. Everything was going just great. But when the actual polling started the next morning, I think it was at six o'clock or something, the machines all ran for about correctly for about uh, two or three hours until nine o'clock, and then they started to go south together. Yeah, it's and we're like not supposed to. We're not supposed to believe sabotage. We're not supposed you to believe. Just can't intense. make this up. They started going no. south together, and in the end of it, forty-eight percent of the precincts were denied. How many registered voters in Maricopa County? Oh gosh, there's approximately. That's huge. Huge. I mean, so, so, so forty-eight percent. We're just going to, for the yes. sake of ease here, we're going to say half. Yes. Half the voters in Maricopa County, half of the voters essentially. We're right. disenfranchised by this, yes. or at had, least right. limited, and maybe some of them went and corrected it and went to another precinct or whatever. Yeah. But but if literally half the machines didn't work, that means half the people were disenfranchised. That's right. They, that's right. They had no guarantee that their vote was counted. And and the thing about everything that went into box number three, those are the ones that the tabulator would spit back out at you. Everyone that went in there <clears throat> was handled according to whatever somebody decided the procedure. They handled it as if it were a mail-in ballot. Okay. Just, just saying they, they put it in the same process that mail-in ballots would be handled. 
which is the reason that all those people showed up to vote in person. Right. Because they was didn't trust the mail-in ballot. mail-in ballot was to exactly. avoid that procedure altogether and get their stinking vote counted on the day that they cast their ballot. It's why more conservatives and Republicans prefer the same day voting rather than the early voting or the mail-in voting because they want to see it go through the machine. They don't want to drop it in a box. They don't want to put it in the mail and just hope that it got where it's going. And as an example, people have said this many times, you know, if you really want to test your faith in the mail-in ballot process, put $1,000 in cash and mail it to yourself. Put it in the postal system. If you're so confident that everything gets where it's supposed to get, put $1,000 in cash in and let's see if it comes back to you. No one will do that. But yet your vote, which which is worth, in my estimation, many, many times more than $1,000. It's my vote for the leadership and the, and the survival of this country. I'm supposed yes. to just drop that in, a mail, in, a, in an envelope and just trust that it gets where it's supposed to go. That's right. Oh, wow. Well, I tell you what. Right. I tell you what, Bob. You know, we 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 need to wrap, but I I want I want to just say this to our to our listeners here and our viewers. Um, free speech is the most important issue we're going to deal with in the next two years. If you can't see it, I don't know if there's any hope for you. There probably is, but maybe not in this podcast. <laughs> but but you need to see this. You need to see free speech and, and freedom of speech and our all of these unalienable rights before it hits us again because we need to be prepared. Does anybody really think that, that masks are not going to come back? They're talking about it in Los Angeles County right now, the mask mm-hmm. mandates again. The military sure. is talking about mandated vaccines for all the soldiers again. You know another thing is flu is going to come through, and the lockdowns may start again in places like Michigan or places like here, now that we've got Katie Hobbs for governor. Um, if anybody thinks that we're not going to get hammered on this whole free speech issue on a personal level, you're just not paying attention. We're going to get hammered. We need to be ready. We need to be ready to to engage in the battle where the battle line is found. Nine times out of 10 now, from now on, it's going to be in your local community. That's where everything starts. Every one of the people above, all the state legislators, all the national legislators, listen, they all came out of somebody's local community. You had your chance to influence them. You had your chance to get rid of them before they ever got into a higher office, and you didn't do it. This needs to stop. You can, you're the only one that can do it. So we defend free speech. We train on, train our people, our members, how to be statesmen in their local communities to get things done, how to get policies changed, how to make presentations and so on that are persuasive. And it's our time folks. It's our time to rise up in America and make a difference in our country. That's why we named our podcast stand and deliver. It's not just standing. We don't want to leave you standing. We want to get you standing and then put you into action in your local community to make a difference. Come join us at citizensforfreespeech.org. The scroller at the bottom of the screen has been saying that. You can go to that website, sign up. It costs nothing to sign up. We are a member-supported organization. However, your donations to keep us going is critical. So if you can help, even with a year-end donation, it would be a wonderful thing. Really help us you know, get through this year and end up 2023. Can't believe I said 2023. Here it is. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, Bob, I think we need to wrap it. Any any closing thought? No, you hit it uh, right on the head, Patrick. We need people to join. We need more numbers, and we need people at the local levels. Change policies, change platforms, whatever you got to do. Talk to election boards. Uh, become members of elections boards. Do what you got to do. I'm Bob France, Citizens for Free Speech. Patrick Pat Wood. Good stuff, as always. Everybody, don't forget, you can join CFFS this way, too.